Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is in the room. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Firstly, uh, before I start, I just want to introduce my beautiful bride and better half, Halle Berry. She's the Jewish one, by the way. <laughs> and uh, secondly, just want to thank uh, uh, Lauren and, and, and Tony for inviting us. I'm sure most of you know that, that we traveled together to Israel in uh, February. Uh, to the Galilee Worship Center, where we uh, fellowship for 10 days with, with uh, Oni and Yoni Klein. And uh, they are really carrying a prophetic download for the new wineskin as far as our connection to the land is concerned. And we had 10 wonderful days of uh, some beautiful time in the spirit and some really some a new taste of worship. Um, that was really glorious. Uh, that was very liberating and um, just a, uh, something I feel that as we get closer to this time that Abba is bringing us into, that we are going to, to be brought into greater intimacy and, and experience greater worship in, in the kingdom uh, of our Lord. Praise God. A couple of words that came through. You know, for the first word was restoration, the second word was the Father's heart, the third was unity, and the fourth was the bride. And it's interesting because you could touch, I could touch on any one of those concepts um, related to what we call the reconnection. And we've given it a term, I have a, a, a business background and a marketing background, so um, the Lord has well prepared me for this time, and I think it's important to begin to put certain things into terms and, uh, and wording that, that can help the body more easily embrace what God is about to do. And obviously the first is called the reconnection. Well, what is the reconnection? Why is the reconnection necessary? Um, so... I think the way I want to start tonight is basically on, on that, that word of restoration. Um, because we all sense, all of us in this room tonight, you're obviously you're, you're not here by mistake, we're hungering and thirsting for something more, for something new. We can't quite put it all into words, but we can feel it in that, that Yiddish word they call in your kishkas, in your gut. There's something going on. And that's because I, I truly believe that the Holy Spirit is transitioning us. We are moving into a new time and a new era. And uh, that time um, uh, has three main focuses. And very interestingly enough, um, uh, last year, as I'm writing the next book, um, which is almost finished, the Lord uh, really started to connect me with prayer movements and prayer leaders around the world. And I'll explain a little bit more about that uh, later as I, as I come along. Um, 
and we connected with a new prayer movement that is, is truly uh, growing rapidly in the States uh, called 10 Days. And it's a prayer movement that is mobilizing the church to pray through the feasts of the Lord, through the 10 days of the days of war between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and also the 10 days that the apostles had in the upper room before Shavuot and Pentecost. And it's so interesting that we are moving into a time of restoration. Abba is up there playing chess. And he's moving the pieces into place. And we, his children, are pretty much all on a need-to-know basis. And that includes our leaders. Any one of us, I believe, that thinks we have it all down, or thinks that our particular way in this part of God's family restoration, I think possibly is going to miss the boat. The movement is so much about the Father's heart and the unity and the love of his family that it kind of makes sense that none of us would have the full download and that we need to connect and embrace what God is giving to other parts of the body to see the full picture. So, um, I connect with the, uh, the leader of 10 days in the, Connecticut, in the state of Connecticut, and uh, we have a messianic uh, expression in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, in, in, um, um, in uh, upstate, that is different from uh, most messianic expressions because it's not congregationally focused. It's a parachurch uh, effort or focus that looks to connect with the local church and move them into Jewish ministry to help them connect to their Jewish roots, to help Jewish believers find the fullness of their identity from within the church without necessarily leaving it, and then to mobilize the church into Jewish witness, to lifestyle witness, power evangelism, to reach out the gospel to the Jewish people. The Jewish people are hungry. The harvest is being ready. We have got to begin to get prepared and deal with some of the barriers and some of the insecurities in our own heart that prevent us from actually moving out. So very interestingly enough, as, as we're putting 10 days together in Connecticut, the leader there and I gathered about a week before and we started to seek the Lord. And everyone was focused last year, last Rosh Hashanah, on the Shemitah year ending. Any of us that were focused on the one new man and the whole Jewish Gentile thing, we're focused on the Shemitah year ending, right? Because it's the end of the Shemitah. Five, seven, 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 as the trumpet blew, it was the end of the Shemitah year. So for those of you not familiar with Shemitah, it's basically the seven years Sabbath that God set up for the land when Israel was in, in the Promised Land. And as we sought the Lord, the, um, the, the Lord had us transform our Rosh Hashanah service. And I've always felt like Rosh Hashanah is more prophetic, because it's we blow the shofar, and, it, and it's really a prophetic expression. You know, the feast, Yeshua, you know, Yeshua now is in the midst of the feast, so to me, the feasts take on a different expression. I don't think we necessarily have to go back to the way that Israel practiced the feast in the old <coughs> days, um, but rather prophetically move into them in the new covenant. And so um, I've always had this sense as we blow the shofar that 
the Lord is wanting to, to sound, sound his word and, 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 his, and his prophetic unction. Well, as, as the Lord would have it, we ended up blowing three prophetic chauffeurs. It became this exciting intercessory event. And all of a sudden, intercessors from all over Connecticut came down to our little Messiah's house in Connecticut. And we gathered, uh, we did, uh, you know, we did a little bit of a tradition. We, you know, we went through, we did a drosh, and we did, we did, we read through the Torah, and we read a little bit of a prophetic, and then the New Covenant, just to give the meaning and expression, so that our Gentile brothers and sisters could get a taste, you know, of just celebrating the feast. And then we went into this prophetic unction. And the Lord had us blow, can I get a glass of water? The Lord had us blow three prophetic shofars. <coughs> what no one was focused on, okay, because everyone was focused on the Shemitah ending, no one was focused on the new Jubilee beginning. Mm -hmm. And as we blew that shofar, we were coming into a new 50-year period. Okay? And the Lord confirmed this with a rainbow. Within the 24-hour period, we had a double rainbow as we were driving uh, from one of the meetings to another. The Lord had us proclaim three prophetic directions. One, the restoration of the one new man in the family of God. Two, the church moving into the fullness of the five-fold ministry. And three, the preparation of of the bride for the Lord's return. We are in a new day. Now, before I go on, some of what I may share tonight could be challenging to you. Especially if you've been at Bible school or you've been at seminary. Some of what I may share with you could, could be challenging. But I promise you, everything I share with you is in the Word of God. And I would, I, I would gladly sit down with any of you if you have issues with things that I may bring up and that we could enter into dialogue and discuss them and talk them through because we are entering a new day. We have had, and, and I want us to focus for a moment, I want us to focus on how the Father looks at us. Instead of us looking at this one new man as brethren, as brothers and sisters, which has always got us into trouble, because that introduces our humanity and all the stuff that goes along with being a brother or sister in a family. Okay? I want us to try and reflect on what I'm talking tonight through the heart of the Father. Through the heart of the Father for his family to finally Together, to be united, for love to flow through that unity, for the bride to reflect Yeshua and his glory and his joy and his peace and his deliverance and his power and into a lost and dying world that we would be lights shining on a hill, truly manifesting the victory and authority of the kingdom of God in our lives. 
So we're going to have a time. Um, it's impossible to share the reconnection in in a forty-minute message. You know, it's one of the challenges. I go to the church. I get invited to many churches, and they say, "Come and tell us, you know, what your ministry focus is." It's th this. This issue between Jew and Gentile and family issue is so complex, it's just not possible to share the whole thing in 40 minutes. So I'm going to give you what, the, what I said to Lawrence and, and Tony tonight, that the purpose of tonight was to spark your interest, is to give you a taste. Um, and then I'm going to stop and and along the way I might push buttons in you and um, we're going to enter into a time of Q&A, questions and answers. And you can, I can handle anything, I promise you. I've heard it, and there's very little I haven't heard before, and I can take objection in the love of Messiah. Okay, we are in a time, one of the things, you, one of the things that you'll recognize that we teach about the reconnection is it's all about the Father's heart. It's all about love. It's all about tolerance, love, and liberty. It's not about putting points in the finger and being critical. It's about loving our brethren and our sistren into the reconnection. And that takes time, and it takes patience and commitment. So um, where do we want to go from here? Okay. How many have read the Ezekiel generation? Okay. Uh, a little bit more than half. Okay. Um, Sorry. Started today. Started today. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. I love it. Okay. So, um, cut a long story short, that basically the heart of the, the Ezekiel generation, the heart of the book, really exposes the grip that the enemy has had on the bloodline of the Gentile family in the church. And um, how, it is, how it has kept the church on a separate and distinct path away from Israel and separated from its roots. And I truly believe that the bloodline generational issue that the Ezekiel generation exposes is one of the major roots to the issues that keep us separated as a family. But it's not the it's not the only issue. And um, about a year after I, I launched the book, God did some amazing things. I, I went to uh, many churches, and some of them really large, and some um, Lord used 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 the ministry to bring apostolic ministries together, and did some some wonderful things. Um, and about uh, about a, a year into it, um, about a year into it, um, I had lost two of the closest people to or two of the closest people to, to me in um, in my original Messiah's House group that we had started in 2004. 
And we had all got together and sought the Lord and said, we are going to find the Father's heart for this one new man. And while we were uh, addressing that issue, I was trying to point out that there are Gentile views when it comes to the one new man, and that there are Messianic views. And most of us are on either the left or right. There are very few of us that are actually in the middle. And the middle is where I believe the Father wants to bring us into this point, because it's his heart. And um, um, I, this, this was a, a sovereign uh, moment in, in my life, um, and very strategic in how God, you know, it's amazing how God uses all things to the good for those of us that, that love him. Anyway, I, I, was, I was in worship one morning at church, and um, I was in the spirit, but I was discouraged. And um, um, as as I'm worshiping and I'm and and I'm kind of feeling this whole thing, I hear the Holy Spirit laughing. And the Holy Spirit's laughing. I said, "Lord, why are you laughing? You know, I'm like really upset. I'm dealing with the, this issue, and." the Holy Spirit spoke a, a very clear word to me, and he said, Grant, these are strongholds. He didn't say Grant. <laughs> he said, Grant, these are strongholds. You can't break them, but I can. Now, the two people I had lost, okay, as much as they had committed to try and find this place that we were looking for in the one new man, that got hung up on Gentile eschatology. Mm. And it prevented them from moving and from wanting to track further into where the Lord was leading us. Um, one thing you'll learn about me is I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm, I, as a Jewish believer, I've spent most of my time in the church, I'm actually much more familiar with the way my Gentile family thinks than I am with my, my Messianic family. And God has given me a great love for all of us, whether we're Jew or Gentile. You know, we're one in Messiah. We're all equal. We will be co-heirs together with Yeshua. And when it comes to the things of the Spirit, there is no difference between us. The problem with that, is that as this church looked to, to, to find that place, it eliminated uh, the identity issue of the Jew and the Gentile when it comes to the thing of the Spirit. And we'll, we'll get into that a, a, a little bit later. So I want to stick on this, this Holy Spirit story because it was a sovereign change for me and it's going to lead me into explaining um, what I want to explain to you tonight. Um, the moment the Lord spoke that word to me, the discouragement was gone. I knew exactly, you know when God speaks a word to you, there's a whole load of stuff underneath that, that immediately comes to light and makes sense. Well, of course, it all dropped into place. And the reason why it dropped into place for me is because in the 90s, um, I was leading the Jewish ministry with a, a number of other brothers and sisters at Times Square Church. And we were very involved in intercession. In fact, when they asked me to join the ministry, 
I basically said to them, when do you meet for intercession? And they said, well, we don't. So they had a prayer meeting, but they didn't have intercession. And I had already, God had already trained me up as a baby believer. I was very fortunate. I was called and discipled into a startup church in, in New York City. It, um, the pastor was half Jewish, and he was a revivalist, and he connected with um, some great men uh, of, of God, Bob Jones, and Jim Hall, and Don Finto, and Dick Simmons, and in particular Dick Simmons, who was, who was really a, a, a father of, of many intercessors. Um, he's, he's an older, older brother these days, but he has discipled many, many he has discipled many, uh, many um, men and women into the things of intercession. And as a baby, I was in this little church, and these men were wanting to come into New York to pray for New York City. And so we opened up our church between 5.30 and 7.30 every morning for prayer for two years. And they would come into the church regularly, and I sponged them. So by the time I'm three years in Messiah, I am already interceding, and I'm knowing about intercession, and, I, and so God taught me that principle, plus I was the local evangelist trying to bring the gospel on to the streets of the East Village, and I quickly learned, okay, you can't do any evangelism without having effective prayer to fuel it. So I understood that principle. God taught me that very young, and it's understandable now for the, for the way he's led me. So I turn around to the brother of Times Square Church, who's now in Israel, by the way, who's now Arnie in, uh, who was Arnie Klein. And I basically said, how can you have Jewish ministry without intercession? So he said, okay, let's start it. And so we started intercession, and two years later, that intercessory meeting sent Arnie and Yoni out to Israel. And they've been there ever since ministering, and they're really uh, patriarchs and matriarchs in the land at this point. You know, there are still only 15,000 Jewish believers in Israel. So, uh, from that point, um, uh, from that point, the Lord led us, began to switch us, um, and Bob Jones had prophesied over me in the in '87 that you are going to go into the former Soviet Union and win the Jews. And um, in 87, I thought, what's he talking about? But it was only like 91, I think, that the wall, yeah. the wall came down. And then all of a sudden, uh, as, uh, as, as Arnie and Yoni go off to Israel, the Holy Spirit switched our focus to Russia. And we start being led into this intense intense intercession that I, I still to this day I've, I've, I've not tasted of and experienced such intense warfare and I understood why because when we stir, as the Lord began to lead us over to Israel we put the Passover into a stage presentation and with our five loaves and two fishes, we went over to the former Soviet Union and to Belarus, and we ministered the Passover with some, some well-known singers, and we preached Yeshua through the Passover story, but we taught the Russian Jews communism had wiped out their heritage. Mm -hmm. 
So we taught the Russian Jews their heritage through the Passover story. We, we, went, we didn't start with Moses, we started with Abraham and went all the way through. And then we preached Yeshua. And every night for, for three years, 10 to 12 performances, two to 3,000 seat auditoriums, packed with 90% Jewish audience with a $500 advertising allowance. And whole theaters standing up to receive Yeshua. You can see it on my website. You can see it on the Reconnecting website. Of course, I look quite a bit younger because it was 20 odd years ago. But the point I want to make, aside from that experience changing my life, because I knew then if God's go, this was Jeremiah 16, 14 through 16 being fulfilled through my very eyes and experience. And I knew then if he was doing this to the Jews, it was only a matter of time before the Jews in the West would, would come. And it does say that the veil is only there until, okay, until, right? It doesn't say it always going to be there. It's only there until. So the point I want to make is that I came into this, we came into this, this incredible, incredible spiritual warfare and we would start at, uh, at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning we go for two and a half hours every Wednesday rarely was there a word of English and it wasn't long before we were in the spirit and not only that but the Holy Spirit was leading us into the heavenly realm and you could feel it it was almost like you were in a heavenly chariot, like one of David's chariots, and you had fires of sword, and, 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 and just everything was magnified visually in the spirit. And even though we were praying in, in tongues most of the time, we had a sense of what was going on. You know, not to say that there was interpretation, but we just had a sense of what the Lord was doing, because you could feel it. And we were literally chasing demons in the heavenly realm and clearing the skies. So, so much so that when we went to Russia with our five loaves and our two fishes, okay, there were only 10 of us the first year. Imagine putting on, you know, a, a theatrical performance in a language you don't understand and organizing all of that and trying to get people to come. I mean, it was just a, a, a sovereign work of the Lord. But the point I want to emphasize is that the spiritual warfare was intense. And so when the Lord spoke that word to me, these are strongholds, and you can't break them, but I can. I knew exactly what the Lord meant. And immediately it changed my focus. Not to say that I wasn't focused on prayer, because I've always been, I'm more of an incessant than I am anything else, to be honest with you, and that's my heart. It, everything, I, I don't get most churches, I don't get most pastors, I, I don't understand, because everything comes from prayer. It's like the fuel that, that ignites the rest. It's like, it's the money, it, it puts the, the food in the, in the fridge, it puts the money in the bank, it, it, it just provides, and yet, and yet, it's the weakest link in, in the American church. So, um, so immediately, I had this sense 
that I needed to refocus. In a sense, I had to take three steps back to take one forward. And I was totally excited to do it because I knew that the Lord was in it. And so that year, I started to gather uh, most of the intercessors that I uh, know from, from the Connecticut, New York area. And I gathered them, and we had several meetings, and I started to share the vision. Please, you know, who understands here that the Israel peace comes by a spiritual revelation? Amen. Yes. It, it's, uh, you know, who, you know, who, you know, which, which ones of you had, had it was like the, the Holy Spirit opened your eyes Amen. to the Israel peace? Hands raised. Hands raised. Amen. 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 Because it is, it is totally a spiritual thing. That's right. It's, and, and. We, we can talk about that a little, a little bit later, and there, there are reasons for that as well. But it's almost like, um, you know, God sovereignly opens our eyes, and all of a sudden we get this, this understanding that Israel has this greater significance, and sometimes, and sometimes we think, well, we don't have a complete and full understanding of it. Well, what... What we will be doing, if you decide that you want to, to press into this and, and make a commitment, because I will tell you it's a commitment. It's always, things are always exciting when you start a ministry, okay, and when you first come into it, and because our emotions are high. But, um, you know, um, we need to have a place of commitment as intercessors to be able to move into this place. Because... Um, many years ago, in one of the, uh, as I'm writing the first two books, and we're in intercession, um, the Lord showed me that the mirror, that that the remnant of Israel was mirrored in the church. Now, you know, for those of you who've read the book, you know I have another term. I call I call those believers Ruths and Cornelius, yes. and these are female and male intercessors, because intercessors are closer to the heart of God, they're close to the things of God, they tend to, because they're closer, they, they have, um, most of them have come into this understanding of Israel, but our levels of understanding are all at different levels, and one of the things that I believe that is necessary and what the Lord is wanting for us to do at this point is one, our leaders and our pastors who I'm hope, I hope that we love and we serve and we are submitted to may not be the ones, in fact I was going to say more than may not, they're not going to be the ones that get this revelation to the church. The Lord showed, showed us that the remnant of Israel is mirrored with a remnant. And these are mostly watchmen. They are mostly watchmen and watchwomen. And he is wanting to stir up the watchmen and the watchwomen. He is wanting to increase our revelation and understanding of what is about to take place. And not only that, not only to increase up here, 
but also here to bring us to a new place in Amen. the spirit where we can be led into effective, fervent intercession and still be under the shadow and shelter of his wings. Because we have to be really careful, okay? I mm. truly believe in of ourselves we're no match for the devil. I know greater is he than in me than he who's in the world. And I know I have authority for my own life. And now I know I have authority for the reconnection. But if I go off praying for other things that are outside my realm, okay, I have to be really careful. And so I, I'm, I, you know, I'm not one to, to kind of laugh at the devil or to make comments. You know, the Lord said rebuke him. The Lord said, you know, basically do certain things and let your yes be yes and your no be no. But we have to understand that, you know, that the enemy is crafty and he's also vicious. And so we have to be careful in the way that we track. I may be getting a little bit ahead of myself, but, but I believe what, what the Lord is wanting to do at this time is to raise up an army. Raise up an army of intercessors all over the world who will stand in the gap. First of all, who will be submitted to their leadership despite their leadership not necessarily agreeing with their eschat your eschatology. Stand in the gap, okay, for the churches and the body around you and begin to, to allow the Spirit to lead you to take the strongholds that are preventing the body and the family from reconnecting. And I want to tell you, it is it's an mammoth job. It's huge. It is way bigger than ourselves. But... The Lord showed me many, many moons ago through the birth, and again, if you read the, 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 the Ezekiel generation, you know through the birth of my firstborn son, the Lord gave me a prophetic picture to show, to show me that Israel would come through the birth and labor of the church. And so, my ministry focus has not been so much on Israel, although I love Israel, and I want Israel to be saved, and I want as much of uh, 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 my, my ministry focus is to, is to pray and intercede for the church before the veil can be lifted up from Israel. Mm. The veil has to be lifted up from the church. Mm. We have to understand that the enemy got in to the family very quickly. Okay, he sowed deceptive theology, and then that led the church not only to move in that direction, but then to totally cut off the, the Israeli identity that God's children from the nations are supposed to have. Mm -hmm. yes. So now, as we come into this time, as we come into this time of restoration in the one new man, this thing is totally foreign to us. Uh -huh. It's like it, it doesn't make any sense because we've had 1,800 years okay, of Gentile theology and eschatology that has basically said, we are Israel. Now, let me tell you, the replacement theologists have an element of truth to what they're saying because we are Israel. But we don't replace them. 
Amen. Okay, and we're not complete without their restoration. Okay, now, the last word tonight was about, before we started, was about the bride. Well, let me ask you a question. Is the bride Gentile? Now think about that. Think about that for a moment. Okay? Half, half of the church eschatology thinks that the church is going to be taken up Okay, and that as the bride, and that Israel is separate, God's going to deal with Israel separately. Excuse me, Scripture says that Israel was the bride way before the Gentile, the children from the nations started to coming into the picture. Amen. The bride is the one you man. So until we get this this spiritual reconnection. Okay, we're off track. Okay, and here's the thing. We're never going to see the end times through a Gentile lens. And I'll give you the balance. You'll never see the end times through a Messianic lens, a Jewish believing lens. We'll see the end times through the heart of the Father. Because we've had 4,000 years of our humanity. We've had 2,000 years from the time of Abraham to the time of Yeshua, to Jesus, okay? Where God was focused on the firstborn. And we've had 2,000 years from the time of Yeshua, time of Jesus, to the modern day. And in it, was, or through it, our humanity became exposed. Israel was given a mandate to uphold the law. Okay, Moses forewarned them. Remember, the Lord brought, the law brought an accountability. If, if it was not upheld, there was consequence. Amen. Before the law was given, sin was not brought into account. So the law brought consequence, and Israel was given the law to uphold. But in their humanity, they failed. They could not. Now, I don't care if God had chosen the Mexicans or the French or the Chinese. Whoever he had chosen to uphold the law would have failed. Because the law exposed the heart. Okay. So, for 2,000 years, we hear the story of Israel failing in their humanity. Now, let's move to the Gentile side of the family, because the Lord likes balance. Okay? And I believe he looks at us, even though there's this tiny population of Jews, he looks at the kingdom as Jew and Gentile. That principle still exists. It always did because he brought it into account and it always will. Remember on the pillars and on the foundation of the new Jerusalem will be the 12 tribes and the 12 names of the 12 apostles. We will always have a Jewish identity. Alright, where was I? I lost my train of thought for a second. Let's see who's listening. So, second 2,000 years. 
Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Romans 11, 13, I think. I am talking to you Gentiles. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Roman church at that time was more than 30% Jewish, if not 50%. I am talking to you Gentiles. Draw Israel to jealousy. Make the most of your ministry to win them to faith. Don't think that you've replaced them. Don't be arrogant thinking that you've replaced them. Love them on account of the patriots despite the fact that they are enemies. Those were the edicts given to the Gentile side of the family. What did the Gentile family do? In their humanity, they failed. They were a little bit like Jonah. Right? They got the commission, and yet they went in the opposite direction. But it's not too late. Jonah came back and fulfilled his job. Right? And he went to Nineveh. Okay. What does it say in Romans 11.32? This is the end of Paul's dissertation. Okay? On the whole Israel piece. For I have given all men over to disobedience. When it comes to this, I'm going to add some words here to help with the understanding. Forgive me, Lord. Or bless me. <laughs> When it comes to the family, when it comes to the sibling issues between us as Jew and Gentile, I have given you all over to disobedience that I may have Louder? mercy. Mercy. Okay. We, remember I started by talking about restoration. New wineskin, new reform, restoration. We have entered that time of mercy. God is wanting to release his mercy to his family to restore us with the Father's heart, who had the unity, with unity of spirit to prepare <clears throat> the bride for his coming. Amen. Amen. I'm not good at repeating. <laughs> <laughs> we are at a time of mercy. God is wanting to release his mercy into us to heal all that Loving Yiddish word, mishugas. All the crap in us from our bloodline, okay, that the enemy has sewn into, that he's pulling the strings with, because the enemy has a right. Even yeah. if we don't know, when there's some unrighteousness in our bloodline, he has a right to interfere. Right. He can only touch disobedience. We are at a time of mercy to get cleaned up. Amen. This is not about pointing the finger and saying, oh, church, look what you did. It's not about 
pointing the finger to the Jews and saying, oh, you failed. It's a time of love. The outflow of mercy is, or I should say, help me with this. Love is the, is the outflow of mercy, or mercy is the outflow of love. John 17. We're hearing a lot about John 17. It's about the uniting of the family. But do you know that the foundation of John 17 is the unity of the one new man? Go look at it again. Verse 6 to 19. Yeshua's praying solely for his Jewish apostles. And then he says a very interesting verse in 20. It says, and now... I'm going to pray for your message. Well, wait a minute. Our whole message is Jesus, is Yeshua. It's, we want him lifted up that everyone would know that he exists. No, but Jesus says, but Jesus says, and now I want to pray for those that will believe in your message. This is a strategic verse. Strategic to the one you met. I'm going to tangent for a minute to come back to this. And this could be challenging to you, but I want to show you something. Jesus is by the fig tree, and he curses it. Okay, and the next day, they walk by, and the fig tree is gone and dead. And the apostles, and most of the teachings we hear about this, kind of get sidetracked on, you know, moving into the moving into greater faith, and that, that's all all well and good. But there was something else going on here. Okay, what happens directly after Yeshua curses that fig tree? There are two accounts. One is in Matthew, and the other is in Mark. In Matthew, he's immediately questioned with his authority. By what authority do you do these things, the Pharisees said to him? And in Mark, what does he do? He goes into the temple, into, into the temple and he ransacks it. How dare you turn my father's house into a den of thieves? Jesus turns to the disciples and said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain into the sea. What mountain was Yeshua talking about? He was about to take the authority away from the priesthood. Remember, while he was living and walking, he said, you have to submit to them, okay? He had to bring the gospel first to them in order to fulfill everything. But he said, don't, don't do as they do, but you have to do as they say, because they still have the authority. He takes that authority, and he throws it into the sea. He moves, he takes the... This is, this is like... This is like moving what, taking, a, taking the White House, okay, changing the, uh, the American government, or, or removing Queen Elizabeth. He took 
the priest of the authority and he moved it into the sea. It's finished. He took it away from them. How do I know that? Simple, because the New Covenant shows us quite clearly that at Pentecost the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles and the prophets and the new authority of Israel was to be that foundation of which Yeshua was the cornerstone. And who takes the message out to the nations to fulfill Israel's call? You see, the mantle got shifted from one part of Israel to a new Israel, and they took the message out. Your message, Yeshua said, so that the children from the nations could be grafted in to Israel as a commonwealth. And so the Gentiles have this Israelite mentality in the spirit. But we know from Acts 15 that the apostles fought off the, Ju the Judaizers and said, no, we, we can't even deal with this yoke around our neck. Why would we want to put it on them? And they made a rule. The Holy Spirit made a rule that the Gentiles were not to follow the, 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 the main bulk of, of, of rules and laws that the, that the Jews followed. But the Jews continued yes. in them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, twenty percent of Israel is religious. Ten percent of the Jews in America are religious. Who's going to reach them? And look where you guys are. I think I think yeah. I need to talk about this tonight. Yeah. <laughs> because look where you are. Amen. Right. What is God calling you to in order to be able to reach them? Look what Lauren has already gone through. Is look how the Holy Spirit has led Lauren and Tony in this quest to be obedient to his words. Go and do this. Go and battle walk. Pray on your phone. Walk around the neighborhood. Be faithful in the little. That you can be faithful in much. But who's going to reach? Who is going to reach the religious Jews? And let me tell you, to go, to even go back under the law, the way Paul went back under the law, okay, if you're not really strong in the Holy Ghost as a believer, you're going to get sucked into that spirit. Just like anyone else. I mean, let's face it. Part of the problems on the messianic side, aside from our identity issues, is there's a spirit of religion there. Oh, amen. Right? But who's going to reach them if we don't start to think differently and train up people, okay, that can bring the gospel to those types of Jewish people? Over there is also a nurse in the yeshiva, uh, Donna Rajanian, 
And Judy Chimente is a personal trainer that goes into uh, ultra-Orthodox homes right. and trains the, the women. Right. So we have people that are planted. In the community. The Holy Spirit has planted Amen. people right within the community. So, wow. so this is good. This is really good. Amen. Amen. So, let's talk about the family. It's a mess. Shall I tell you where we're at? I'll tell you where we're at. Take it. We're at the hour before the wedding. Okay? Who's, who, who's married children here? Who's married children? Yeah, who's who's married, married children. children. Right. The hour before the wedding is so often a mess. <laughs> the last minute things are going, there's panic, okay? And all of us, but all of a sudden, when she walks down the aisle, oh, the light and the glory is upon her. And so we have to be willing to take a look at our own our own hearts and come into a place of humility and repentance where the Holy Spirit can release healing to us. And I want to tell you there are two main issues. But before I address the two main issues, I want to just track with me a moment, okay? as to where the church went in the second century, okay, there were two notable theologians, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus. And Justin Martyr, I, 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 I'm not going to condemn this brother, God forbid, <coughs> because the church was growing against a Jewish opposition. And so, in a sense, it had an element of humanity, of defensiveness, and perhaps insecurity itself as it was struggling to find its identity. And there is truth to the, to the teaching that Jewish and Gentile believers are Israel. Okay, we're just waiting for the balance to come back in, and we don't replace that part of Israel because... If we do, we lose our identity. Mm. And so what happened is the enemy started to use that stuff. This is what I think. These are my thoughts. I'm, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord here. But I think the enemy got a hold of that stuff. Okay, And by the time Rome started to organize, and they, they, fought, they, they met at the Council of Nicaea, and, and began to organize the church, and there were some, some good things that came out of that, but they looked to disconnect themselves from their roots and their heritage. And look what happened. This is 350, 325 to 350, approximately, okay? Rome takes over, okay? The church comes out of its suffering and persecution where it grows the best, I hate to say it, but there's nothing like that stuff that, that causes us to 
grow and get stronger. And they took a hundred years, took the back, took Rome, Roman Church, about a hundred years to cut off the Jewish branches. And they persecuted any Jew or Gentile wanting to reassociate to their Jewish roots. It was about that time that Islam was born. And the church went into the dark ages. And it took, what, 1,200 years, 1,100 years before the Reformation came about. And interestingly enough, God started to restore his church to himself. Don't ask me why. He waited for the Israel peace to be at the end. Although he did tell us. Jesus said that the first would be last and the last would be first. And all prophetic scripture shows us that in a sense, they, Israel came into a blindness okay, well before Yeshua. I could show you in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, 9 and 10. Okay? They didn't come into a blindness. They weren't deafened. They were not deafened and blinded because of their behavior towards Yeshua. They were blinded and deafened because of their idolatry. And because God was fed up of constantly putting his hand out to a stubborn and obstinate people. But that's not just them, it's all of us. Because <laughs> we're all stubborn and obstinate. Amen. Truth Amen. be told. When they rejected Yeshua, you have missed the time of your visitation. Mm -hmm. The veil got sealed. It got sealed except for the remnant. And yeah, I could take you through Romans and show you three parts. Three different journeys for the Jews. And, the, and Paul uses three separate questions. I, I, I can't give you the exact verses now, but you look through the first 11 verses, there are three questions. And they each relate to the journey and the path of the Jewish people. The remnant that the Lord used to bring the gospel to the nations. And he said, until this modern day, there would always be a remnant. And so there have always been Jews for the last 2,000 years that have come into the church. But the church became so Gentile and taught that there was no longer any Jew or Gentile, that we were now just one in, in Jesus, that when a Jew came to Messiah in, throughout the centuries, they had no choice but to become Gentile right. and to follow all the Gentile traditions. So, the church embraces this and don't ask me why the Lord didn't fix it. I, sometimes I say, why, why did you allow this to, to for, you know, why, I've got plenty of questions like all of us. <laughs> you know, I've got a list of questions and I get there, you know. It's like, well, what about this one? <laughs> but, during the time of Gentiles, the Lord made a covenant in a sense, he made a promise. 
in the new covenant scriptures that when two or more gather in my name, mm -hmm. there I will be in the midst. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, I, 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 you know, I wouldn't quite call it a covenant, but it's pretty, it's pretty close to to being a covenant. And the Lord has honored and been faithful as he always is, as he always was to Israel, and he's always is to all the children in his family. But he decided in his divine plan that the Israel peace would be the last peace. And isn't it interesting that at the same time we're finding this restoration in the one new man, we're also refinding the, the governing authority through the fivefold ministry, which came out of the apostolic roots of the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I believe, I'll touch on this very, just briefly tonight, but I, we are coming in to um, a full restoration of the church, because if we truly want to take back the land. The government of the church needs to be in the right place mm -hmm. to sanction those under. There's there's mm -hmm. there's health in authority. Amen. You know, yes. um, we I know there are many of us in the church that have issues with the fivefold right now because, and there are some legitimate issues that need to be dealt with because it, it shouldn't be flashy. It should be it should be uh, the upside down kingdom. It should be about. Amen. servitude and washing people's Amen. feet. Right. It should be about a nameless and a faceless Amen. authority. Yes. But make no mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like Chuck Pierce says, there are still vital organs in the body. And I believe there's a global structure that God is wanting to put in place, national structures, regional structures, local structures. And why? Because it's to cover us. So that when we as intercessors begin to move into our local areas, okay, he, the Lord is wanting to take back the strongholds. He is wanting to put the enemy under his feet. And the same principles that, that he's showing me for the reconnection really apply to, to taking back the the. The, our local communities for the kingdom of God. That is why this movement of restoration is starting first with the watchman and with the 24-7 movement that is arising in the earth. And even though the church is not properly recognizing uh, the re-establishment of David's tent there are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of prayer ministries cropping up all over the place. This is no mistake. Briefly, Isaiah 62 and 6 says, I place watchmen on the walls. But it also says, you who call on the Lord. I believe there are two specific directives that... God is giving us in this time because not all of us are intercessors but we're all called to pray 
just like not all of us are evangelists, we're all called to share our testimony and witness to people around us that the Holy Spirit leads us to. It's the same with intercession. Not all of us are watchmen and watchwomen, but we're all called to pray and praise. And I think the 24-7 format fits beautifully within that context because everyone loves to worship the Lord. And you've got IHOP's version of Harper and Bowl, which is praise and, and then worship and prayer together that's lifted up. And the Lord's bringing some beautiful new expressions into the church to mobilize his body into prayer. So let me just finish with this. And then we're going to open, I'm, I'm going to open it up with questions. And like I said, don't, you know, I'm not embarrassed by anything. And I'd rather, I want to encourage you to challenge me. If you, if you, if, if you have things that you want to bring up, and I, um, you know, I, I believe that we are supposed to reason together. We are not supposed to argue. And when it gets into an argumentative spirit, we should, you know, leave it alone. But God wants us to reason, and we need to put things on the table in this day, okay, so that we can come into the place that the Lord wants us to do. And, you know, it's very interesting, because the Jews do this much better than Christians. I can't believe the, the divisions that the church gets into over stupid yeah. stuff. Like, prophetic stuff. Like, excuse me, who knows, don't we know in part? I mean, yes, we should be passionate. Yes, we should read and we should study. Yes, I love to talk about the end time stuff. But am I going to divide with my brother and sister because they see prophetic scripture differently to me? Man, I break the first commandment if I do that. Yet, look what we do in the church. Whereas the Jews, even though they're into their unbroken off stuff, like the Talmud, they'll, you know, the Talmud talks, it, it doesn't necessarily come to a conclusion, so it has many different avenues, and they'll sit there and they'll passionately disagree with each other, and at the end they'll just like hug and kiss. And yet we Christians, oh my God! How many different churches we have because... You know, this one believes this one, and that one believes that one. I mean, these walls have got to come down, and that is one of our assignments. That is one of our assignments. So, what is Recon Warriors about? Recon Warriors is basically reconnecting warriors. This, we, these are watchmen and watchwomen that are called into the fray to begin to stand in the gap and take back the land. Because there are so many issues that are preventing Jew and Gentile from reuniting just in the church, just believing Jew and believing Gentile. There are so many issues that need to be dealt with. There are spiritual issues. There are sibling issues. There are theological issues issues. There are emotional issues. There are spiritual issues. And I have a list, I think six or seven pages long. Okay? I mean, of all the things that, in a sense, are, in a sense, targets that need to be dealt with, ultimately, 
okay, to tear these walls down. But, bust, bust. If the church, with the mercy, it's all in Romans 11, with the mercy, if we're, if, if we're to be obedient to our call, with the mercy that you have received, you are supposed to release that mercy back to the Jewish people. Amen. In fact, you're more called, if you're from a Gentile background in this room, you're more called to reach the Jewish people than I am. Amen. My calling is more to reach, is to bring the gospel to the nations. Right? To fulfill that Isaiah 48. Okay? But you have a calling to make Israel jealous. Amen. That's more of your assignment now. I believe in the one you man we can... You can go to the nations and I can speak to the Jews as well. But you know what I'm saying. So, um, I don't want to lose my train of thought here. Give me a second. So, if the church is the chosen vessel, which scripture says it is. If it is the salvific agent, which scripture says it is, shouldn't we refocus our efforts first on the church? Because before the veil can come up from Israel, and, and many, and, and, and you know, I'm not discouraging prayer for Israel. Trust me, Israel needs a lot of prayer. And they're right on the front lines. But if if the veil coming up from Israel well, let me rephrase this. If the church is the chosen vessel then shouldn't we focus on lifting the veil in the church? Right. Now, let me, I'm, gonna, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna touch on this much more next time, but I, I'm just gonna give you a little taste of this as I, as, I, as I bring it to a close. Yeshua said, with the measure you use, it's measured unto you. Now, we all know that's a universal principle. It's not just to, for us as believers, but it's, it's for everyone. It's a universal law. When you put out negative or destructive or whatever negative, at some point, it's, it's coming around. Okay? The church was chosen to bless and release love and mercy to Israel. And yet the enemy twisted it to hate, persecute, instead. And so in the bloodline, okay, and I'm focusing ancestral church here, please take no condemnation in what I'm saying. None. There is no condemnation in Yeshua. I'm bringing this up because it needs to be discussed so we can understand it. Okay? And we are not directly responsible for what our ancestors did. But, if what they did affects us, and it does, then we need to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And the answer to this is in 
is in the Ten Commandments, in the Second Commandment. The sin of the father travels to the third and fourth generation. And we've had hundreds of generations, if not thousands of generations, that have been abusive towards the Jewish people. And look what happened to Luther. The very brother that got the revelation for, for salvation through grace. Look, and, and, and again, I, I wrote about this in the book, so if you read the book, I, I, and again, I, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord here, but I, I speculated that the enemy put hordes of demons on Luther as he was set towards the end of his life. Because he knew what was at stake. And if he could get that that same bloodline curse mm -hmm. in the Roman Catholic Church into the Protestant Church, then it could continue to travel. Yeah. And so there was something huge at stake. Mm -hmm. And I didn't actually, uh, I didn't put Luther's letter in the book. The publisher did. Because, you know, um, I just think we have to be careful you know, the, the, the Father's heart is wanting to bring healing and reconciliation, not to lay blame and condemnation on anyone. But the church received a measure of Israel's blindness. When it looks back on Israel, that's why there's so much confusion in eschatology. And I just, I finished in chapter 9 of the new book, Okay, I, I spent months reading all church eschatology, and I knew a lot before, because I was a, you know, a study, I, a study to show yourself approved. I studied, okay? But I had to really study for, to, for chapter 9, which was the Gentile lens in the book. And do you know that every church eschatology is missing the spiritual reconnection in the one lens? Because it has to get unpacked. It has to get unpacked. Yeah. And that's where we come in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so what the Lord is requiring is to raise up intercessory groups all over the country and all over the world to go after this reconnection focus. To take on an assignment and to make a commitment to the Lord to come into a regular place where you can give yourself over to the Holy Spirit as you do here on Tuesdays. But to have a, spe a specific focus to be led by the Spirit to intercede for the church in this area. There's something for something significant to when we pray where we pray and where our feet are planted. Yes. And the Lord, and that's why the Lord is moving, is wanting to move the government into place because it's to bless us and to release us. And there's resistance in the body because some of the issues, but that stuff has to get sorted out because authority is healthy. I, I don't want to be someone I'm not. And I don't want to be jealous of my brother or sister who have been raised up in a particular place I want to recognize who I am in Messiah and serve the rest of the body and my family and lift them up. 
not supposed to be any competition in the kingdom. Right. There's not supposed to, we're not supposed to compete, you know, we're not supposed to, to hoard. We're supposed to, you know, to have freedom and we're supposed to bless the family into the parts of the body. And the truth is, is that we have this remnant body. You know, God has, all, God is doing this even without the church. He's brought the Jews back from a hundred different nations. Okay? And it's happening in line with scripture. Yes. Now, a lot of Christians will say, hey, they're not believing. How can they be back in the land? They're not Christian. They're not believing in Jesus. It says you've got to be holy to be in the land. It does. It does. So Israel has a time, most probably. But Scripture says in all three places, Torah, Deuteronomy 30, the prophets, in particular Ezekiel 36, and Paul, Romans 11. So three main places where God says, I will bring you back and then yes. I will cleanse yes. you from your sins. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. So Ezekiel 1 through 8, the dry bones are formed. The, 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 the people are back in the land. But what does it say at the end of 8? But there was no breath. No breath. Yeah. Yes. And then the second proclamation is releasing the breath. That's where we are. That's right. He is, in a sense, the reason why I, I uh, uh, the reason why the Lord named the book the Ezekiel Generation is because that's who we are. That's right. We are the ones that are going to call on the winds, to call on the breath, to release it into these slain that they may live. Because what happens in the third proclamation? The resurrection. The return of the Lord. So, I think I've given you enough to think about tonight. Um, but, um, the Lord is, is wanting to raise up an army who will be willing to stand in the gap and humble themselves and learn, because I, I think we've got a lot to learn. We've got a lot to learn about moving with the Holy Spirit and becoming more effective. And, and I'm right there with all of you, to be perfectly honest. I'm, I'm groping and feeling and trying to find this place myself. But Because I can't fight these things, but I know that he can. And when he takes us into the heavens, it's a whole different ballgame. So, um, let's let's open it up to some to, to some questions. Next week we'll get a little bit deeper. Um, how are we for time, Laura? We're good. We're good. Okay. Um, next week we'll we'll start to get deeper. We uh, um, we're going to do three other sessions, and there will be a balance between increasing your revelation and understanding of the issues that need to be dealt with, but also how do we how do we intercede? How do we become more effective in our intercession? I see intercession as, as like a beautiful orchestra with the Holy Spirit being the conductor and us being the instruments. And the instruments have to learn how to harmonize with all the different gifts that God yes. has given us. Yes. How do we do that? 
How do we move into the place? How do we create an environment for the Holy Spirit to, to use us? Because he wants, he, he's, he, he, he is chomping at the bit for this. Okay? The heart of this is, is, is the heart of the Father and the reconciliation of his family. The, the unveiling of the church, the restoration of Israel, and the return of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I think that's a good time, to, good place to end it. Questions? Questions? I just, could you explain more what you mean when you say about the bloodlines? Are you talking about spiritual bloodlines? What, what's your name? Terry. Terry, that's a really good question. Uh, when I talk about bloodline, I'm talking about our personal, our personal, our personal <coughs> uh, generational bloodline through our parents, okay. through our grandparents, through wherever we came from. Okay. And um, if you read in the book, um, uh, there's a testimony from Todd McDowell in the book. And Todd McDowell is Dom Pinto's spiritual son. And he runs Caleb Co. Ministry in Tennessee, which is totally dedicated to the one you met. But if you read his testimony and what happened when I went to visit them, you will understand that all of us, all of us, need to deal with bloodline issues, to break it off, to renounce it. Yeah. Um, because the enemy has been able to, to um, create holds and setbacks and separateness and division because of the bloodline. So much so that many pastors in the church sometimes who have a have a have a, a leading to Israel, they have Israel here, but they're they're stony here. Jason, I'm a pastor, new, newly pastor, five uh, five months, and I've been on this journey for about uh, congratulations. Yes, thank you. About eight, about, no, it's been about uh, about eight years, and we met uh, Lauren and Tony about five years ago. And I shared this at our at our church that they gave us the book uh, uniting the Jewish and Gentile believer and and uh, just just amazing. But uh, talking about the bloodlines, I just hosted my second trip to Israel, and uh, perfect example. We went to visit uh, Oscar Schindler's uh, uh, site, his tomb, and uh, our tour guide is not a believer. And I just felt in my heart that it was time to to repent from the sins of our fathers. And I watched our tour guide just tears rolling down his face. It was amazing. Wow. Amazing. Wow. Wow, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Um, hi. Yeah. Hi. My name is Alexis, and uh, my husband and I are Jewish believers, and my story is very similar to yours, where I was saved 30 years ago and went right into the church. I was in the church for 30 years, and um, then the Lord led me to a Messianic congregation. He led me first to Isaiah 40, and through Isaiah 40, I began to reconnect with my Jewish roots. I mean, I attended yeshiva, so I... Um, but now, the Lord has me in a place of, I don't, for lack of a better word, uh, of conflict. Not conflict in knowing what his word says. I know what his word says. The conflict <coughs> is in the Messianic congregation and in the church. And I can listen to a message that it can be very dividing and cry in the Messianic congregation because 
my sisters and brothers in the church are not embraced and loved and cared. I also teach in a Catholic school. And cry. Literally, I have left there sobbing because um, I know I know what the church, what those in the church and those are trying to do. At the same time, the Jewishness, you know, the, the roots in the, the uh, in the church, uh, of course, are are also not there. But I spent thirty years there and was loved there. So, you know, I think this is more of a comment than a, a question. Um, and and maybe if we could talk at another, spend some time talking at another time. But um, I'm in the midst of a struggle for. Um, there's a struggle going on around me, and it's, you know, really... Can I comment? Sure. Okay, so <laughs> often God will put us in those situations and cause us to feel frustration because he's wanting to use that frustration to bring you into a deep place of intercession for the things that you're being frustrated about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yes, amen. So, Father, give her more in Yeshua's name. My husband and I have been here for five months, and um, our church before we came here is an Assembly of God church. And we weren't on staff, but we were being used to start this fellowship. We started this fellowship a few years back, and it was uniting the Jew and Gentile. And we had like maybe two Jewish believers in there, and the rest were Gentile. But we were learning, you know, with each other through certain books. We did Paul Wilber's book, um, Embracing the Kingdom, the Calendar of the Kingdom, and then we did that book. And it really taught us a lot of things. It was preparing us for ministry. We didn't know we were going to get called into being a pastor. But we, we did, we got called to being shepherds, and now we're teaching our church to be sensitive to what God is calling us wow. to do with the one new man. We lost a couple people, yeah. which we knew was going to happen with the transition, but coming from the pulpit is very different for them. You know, they're getting, they were a little scared. Yeah. They're like, we're not recognizing our church. And I said, but that's a good thing, because it's not your church, it's not our church. This is God's family, and this is his heart. I said, and he's going to do something new with us. Mm -hmm. So you have to trust mm -hmm. that God knows what he's doing through us. Mm -hmm. We're very sensitive. We're all about restoration. We love that word. Because <coughs> we try to restore people as they're getting upset and angry and frustrated because they don't know what's going on. We've had a couple meetings where we've been able to restore people. And there have been meetings where they just don't want nothing to do with it. And the Lord actually wow. removes them. We don't even have to tell them to. The Lord removes them. Mm -hmm. He's actually cleaning house. Mm -hmm. He's actually keeping the people who are going to go through this journey with us and want to be equipped, want to be trained. They, they're starting to get a love for Israel. The Lord is touching them. And we're very passionate about everything, but especially what God wants. And um, with the one man. So this is a very divine appointment, being here. Everything you're saying is what God has taken us to. So two things to pray about. And I say pray about, and timing is very important, but two things is to take your whole congregation through bloodline repentance. Mm 
Mm. You can do that. It's, it's in, it's in, it's in uh, the very center. It was no mistake. I didn't design it that way. But the very heart of the Ezekiel generation are the prayers of the break-off generation. Yeah. That is divine. Okay, and then secondly, and then secondly, to take a prominent uh, a Jewish person and a Gentile person in your congregation and to have them stand together okay, into identificational repentance. Wow. And to come into a place of forgiveness on both sides That's of the family. Um, when, when I preach on the father's heart, I use the prodigal son story. And I, I, the roles are reversed, and, um, and you know, it's, you can kind of see that, because while we know Israel is the first, the older brother, in the story of the prodigal, who has, who's running Abba's house? The gent, our Gentile family is running Abba's house. So they're the older brother in this picture, and it's the Jews that have gone off, yes. and yeah. are, are the prodigal. And when you present that picture uh, to our Gentile family, I've rarely, I've rarely not seen anyone. I mean, I see whole churches come up to the altar wanting to receive, because we're in a sovereign time, and the Holy Spirit's doing this. Like I said, we don't understand everything, okay? But I go into churches, I see whole churches, and I know I can go into a church and I can pick, in my, pick up in my spirit immediately how strong the generational hold is in the church, because like the Lord's trained that radar in me, okay? But by the time uh, it, it, we, we are in that time of mercy, so this is the time of anointing to move the body into what the Father is wanting to do to bring that healing and reconciliation into the body, even though that they may not necessarily know fully what's happening. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I'm an hour from one. I'm at least an hour, if not an hour and a half, from these two. Although I just met her tonight, but I felt a very strong connection with Jason the very first time I met him. But I'm along the Delaware River, and I'm not feeling connected to either a Gentile or a Messianic congregation. And so the only thing that I have been able to do is pray, because I've, I've don't know nothing nothing's I'm not fitting, I guess is what I'm trying to say. How how do I get into or get become you, part of the church or become part of the Messianic congregation if I'm not how are you asking connected? How are you asking the Holy Spirit? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to lead you to be connected? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's always here. <laughs> everywhere, he, well, it's okay. everywhere he connects me to is more than an hour away, which is great because I love the presence here and I love the yeah. people here and everything like that. But well, you know what? It's, it's okay <coughs> to have a main source. Well, my heart's through over there. Yes. Well, again, if you again putting your feet down on the land where you live and saying and taking authority in the spirit and saying, Holy Spirit. You know, first of all, coming against the enemy, but saying, Lord, now lead me. Open up the doors of connection. There have to be, I'm telling you, there are, there are brothers and sisters that will track with you. There are church people. There are Jewish believers. All of a sudden, they'll come out the woodwork. So 
and maybe Lauren and Tony can pray for you. You know, and pray, yeah, and to pray for you in that place so that those doors begin to open. It's like there's nothing open. Can yeah. I ask it? Well, there's nothing now. Amen. 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 Hallie, you were going to say something? Sylvia? Yes. Hallie. Do you remember me? I remember you. Okay. It's you. It really is you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in their house. She's been in my house. <laughs> Any, um, let's let's put, put a twist on this theological question. Come on, bring a couple of theological questions. I don't know if it's like a real straight up theological question, but um, I I heard what you're saying, and there's a verse that that comes out. Have you ever heard this one? That um, the New Testament in one of the Corinthian letters, I believe. Paul says, give offense to none, neither Jew, Gentile, nor Church of God. And I, I, I didn't hear how what was presented tonight fit with that. Um, Church of God is the one man. And so I'm, I'm now I'm embarrassed that that brings out as a question. Um, have you heard this before? Have you heard this presented to you? In what context? Now, how does that fit with with what, you know, Father's heart and, and, and the message of, you know, I'm well, praying for what you're, the ones are going to believe on your message. and what, Okay, so one of the things that I think the Lord is requiring from us, again, because authority is so important, many of you are connected to churches here. Okay, well, most of you are, most probably are. One, we need to get the agreement of our leadership that you are going to move into this direction and that they know that you're praying for Israel and the church. You don't have to tell them the specifics, but you want their blessing and you want them to know about it because they are your covering. Regardless of whether they whether they agree with you or not. Okay? Um, and the second thing is the level is 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 commitment because once you commit to it, you know, you need to do your best to to to, to stick to it. But like I said, this is a time of mercy. It's all about love. We have to love our leadership and our churches. We have to recognize there are blind, there's blindness there. Understand why there's blindness there, which I briefly touched on tonight, and then begin to go after the issues to lift the blindness while we're moving in love and submission. Okay? If, uh, moving to, out of respect to authority is key in the way we position ourselves in in this, because we need their we need their blessing and their covering in order to for us to be doing what we're doing. Yes, ma'am. I just just to piggyback on that. Um, you know, um, I've I've been a member of Grace and Peace for a long time, and then Tony and I had a time where we felt like the Lord was telling us to step out of the boat. And I didn't know what boat that was until I realized that. He wanted us to go and see what a one new man congregation looked like. You know, it was always my heart, you know, the one new man. And of course, we ended up going two hours away up to Jonathan Kahn's congregation. Um, and there, I did see a lot of the one new man. I mean, he's very careful. Uh, you know, he always includes the Jew and the Gentile. He'll say Yeshua, Jesus. He'll say Moshe, Moses. 
nobody gets lost. You know, whereas sometimes if you go to a Messianic congregation, they're talking about Viagra, and somebody, one of my Gentile friends says, he's talking about Viagra? What's he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, you, know, what is that? you can't follow it, you know. So anyway, uh, you know, so it was like a whole, you know, it's like a whole thing. So anyway, we, uh, we couldn't continue to go there for two hours. I couldn't get involved in ministry there. It was just too far away. And uh, so we ended up going back to uh, Grace and Peace. Now, Mark, uh, the senior pastor who was there, who is now the apostolic uh, overseer, uh, is a member of Kufi, you know, Pastor Wolf Healy, um, member of Kufi, and so he brought in us to honor Israel, and, you know, of course, Isaiah 40, we did all the kosher dessert reception, we did all of that because of our connections to Lakewood, and, you know, we could do all that. Um, I have to say that it was very difficult uh, for me um, to go back. But the Lord had to deal with me in that he said, I said, to the Jew and also to the Gentile. So I had a little work in my heart that God had to do to set me straight. He really had to set me straight. And with, so when I repented that I didn't want to have anything to do with those Gentiles, even though I'm a Gentile, <laughs> the Lord had to show me. And he said, you know, the mercy that was shown you and that whole thing, and it was like, whoa, it was waterworks. And it was, what could I do there? What could I do? So we had a Passover Seder there. We had a hundred people come. And we actually had a Jewish man make the final decision to receive Yeshua as his Messiah. But, I mean, he was vacillating. His father had been speaking to him. He was vacillating. But just the idea that the Lord showed me, you know, take a step out. You know, the feasts are a good way to, to, to even have understanding of Gentiles, to understand that. But who knew that a Jew was going to hear me? And the other side of that is that there is in some parts of the Messianic body, a critical step in the church. And uh, that is not what this reconnection is all about. The reconnection, uh, and we're going to talk about it a little bit next time, or the time after, is I'm going to paint you an image of others' olive tree, of the Father's olive tree, of the Gentile branches and the Messianic branches, and how the Lord is wanting love and liberty to flow through both. And, you know, on those, on the branches of both trees are uh, ornaments, right? Well, I, um, those ornaments, I, I see those ornaments as the feasts of the Lord and Christmas, you know, and the traditions of the Gentile family. Like, as a Jewish believer, I can't go into, into my Gentile's family church and and lift up a candle that is honoring my Messiah. That's right. You know, oh my gosh. Like, I can't do that? Uh, when when the presence of the Lord is all over the place, being lifted up, I can't come into agreement with that as a Jewish believer? Something wrong with me. Okay? Trust me, we have lots of issues, and it's not just on the Gentile side, so don't feel like, you know, I'm uh, the Lord's picking on you. It's a family affair. We've, there are lots of issues, yeah. and I will talk about 
many of the issues on, on, on the messianic branches that need healing and reconciliation. While they may be different issues, there are still issues that are keeping them shut down and then shut away because when we get this, devil's finished. It's He's finished. I wrote this down. I'm not sure if this is what you're trying to say when you talk about reconnect. If you, you are saying, are you saying that you want to refocus the efforts of the church to their Jewish roots? That okay. really Jewish to prepare us okay. for the, the um, wait, wait, prepare ahead. us for the, um, the unveiling of the Jews. When there's the, the word starting to break through to them, that we're prepared to like help them birth themselves into really good relationship question. with the Lord. Yeah. Really good question. Try and look at it this way. Rome, when Rome established the church, in a sense, it divorced itself from Israel. So in a sense, like Ruth and Boaz, there needs to be a remarriage. That's what the reconnection is about. It's not about Gentiles becoming Jews, right. and it's not about Jews becoming Gentile. Yeah. It's about us reconnecting as family, as one. This is the heart of the one new man. It is the very foundation of John 17, of us coming into a spiritual reconnection that will naturally, the natural outflow of that will be the children from the nations refinding their, their Israeli identity okay. without being Jewish but being the children of the nations. You see, God loves both. He, he likes pizza and Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think I understand. Yeah, that's a very good question. Thank you. Any... Uh... Yes. Sometimes you mentioned the church being the chosen vessel. You complete the sentence by filling in the blanks, chosen vessel to bring the firstborn back to Abba, I suppose is what you're trying to say. And if so, is that is the, the scriptural support for that? Is that just Romans 11 provoked them to jealousy, or is there some other scripture that you were relying on to make that point? <coughs> great, another great question. Um, who's heard of Derek Prince? And, oh, and right. right, almost everyone. <coughs> One of Derek Prince's main missions that God gave him, and it was a huge mission, was to help the church understand that Israel, that God had not forgotten his covenant <coughs> to his people. And that the covenants that are spoken about in the scripture are not fulfilled <coughs> in Jesus and relate, firstly, to the people of Israel being restored. Okay, and so you might want to just make some notes on your phone. Deuteronomy 30, Ezekiel 36, <coughs> and there are other prophets that, that, that talk about it. I think Jeremiah talks about it too. But specifically, God said that he would restore Israel. I have covenanted with them to restore them. In, in Ezekiel, in, in uh, Deuteronomy, he says, 
Moses says that after you have been disobedient and dispersed and judged, you will be restored, okay, and then God will return you to the land and will gather you from the nations, and um, then he will take away your sins. Ezekiel says, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I will do this in the end days. It's for the sake of my holy name. So our Father's words are on the line to fulfill His covenants to the firstborn, to restore the firstborn to the family, and they're our brothers and sisters. And they have to be restored. We know the veil's coming up because as we come into the fullness of the Gentiles, in this way, all Israel will be saved. Okay? So, the key there, more than what's in Romans 11, is that God is a covenant God and has not forgotten his promises to Israel and will restore them. And we're seeing it before our eyes. We have seen Israel reformed as a nation, and in 1967, Israel takes back Jerusalem as you know, sovereignty over Jerusalem. And there, I believe, was a, an equation, a release in the spirit. All of a sudden, 10 to 15,000 hippie Jews get saved out of the Jesus movement, and they go back to the church and they say, Hey, church, I'm Jewish. I got this Jewish stuff I've got to do. Oh, we can't do that anymore. We'll so no more Jew, no more Jew. Okay, and then they went back to their own and they said, hey, I'm Jewish. No, no, you can't believe in Jesus and still be Jewish. So this tiny little microcosm of the Messianic body is growing up very isolated in the olive tree. And I'll talk more about that next time. So. You were actually asked by the Assemblies of God if you were going to be Messianic. Yeah. <laughs> because we are... We, we know what we're called to do as a gentle body. Right. I said, I don't know, I says, but I tell you what, we're going to be Jewish friendly. We're going to be a place that... <laughs> yes. Amen. Well, my encouragement to you, that would be to respond to that by saying, we want to be a one new man. Yes. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And I found that those words, Messianic, Christian, yeah. they, to me... The words of division. Exactly. Yes, right. We are all one yeah. in Jesus. We're that's all right. one in Messiah. Right. Exactly. And like a woman said, uh, I had a woman say to me, um, oh, my son-in-law accepted the Lord. He's not Messianic, though. But she was sad. And I said, but the main thing is that he accepted Messiah. But that's, it, it, there's division, you know. Um, so the, and one of the things that is hard for people on both sides to understand is that they're just words. Um, for example, in the complete Jewish Bible, they don't use the word cross, they use the word ex execution stake. That's fine it's, to me. I mean, it represents how Jesus died for my sins. It, it's truth, okay? Um, so I've had Christians who have said, you can't call it an execution statement. It's the cross. But I said, it's words. It's just words. Then I've seen Messianics. I was at a shower with a lot of Messianic Jews, and they were decorating the chair. 
and somebody for where the bride to be is going to sit with ribbon on it. Somebody said, "That looks like a cross." And I said, "And what's wrong with that? Didn't Yeshua die on a cross?" So, just, oh, um, I, can I call him? <laughs> can Can I comment on that? Yes. I understand what you're saying, mm -hmm. but I believe in this time that God wants to bless our diversity. Mm. Yes. And he wants us Jewish believers to bless our Christian family. Oh, yes. He wants the Christian family to bless the Messianic body mm -hmm. so that there is love, unity, and cooperation between mm -hmm. both. See, in a reconnected environment, mm -hmm. the church and the Messianic body look very different. They, they still have their expressions on Saturdays and Sundays, but they are cooperate, cooperating in a beautiful unity. And okay, I'm completely that, agreeing that with that. That blesses yes. both expressions. Yes. So, you know, I, uh, I, I, I think, you know, like, like I said, that, you know, um, the, the Lord made the Jew and he made the nations. Mm -hmm. He made, it, it's, you know, it, he's in all of it. And, you know, there is, I'll just tell you one more thing. The more we find this equation between Jew and Gentile in this one you met, the more that is going to be revealed. We're just seeing part of this now. We are scratching the surface. I really believe that. I really believe that. Yeah. So we're forerunners. We are definitely forerunners. Um, we, in, in a sense, I, I just wrote this in the book. You guys are first fruits. You are first fruits. You're first fruits. That's who you are. And so, in a sense, you know, you know, what are you going to do with that revelation and that understanding? Okay, because God is. Is, is wanting now to begin to mobilize us. Okay, we have a work to do, we have assignments that need to be fulfilled, okay, that are going to change the world. Amen. I mean, really? Turn the world upside down. Okay. <laughs> that the Lord has given God has really opened the eyes of my understanding, made me thirsty for more, made me want to search deeper. And I am an intercessor. But it showed me, uh, 
it actually convicted me that I'm not interceding as I should be interceding. Mm. And it's given me a hunger to really seek the Lord on the path that he wants me to intercede with, not be all over the place praying yes. for everything under the sun, as we all have a tendency to do. So I just want to say thank you for those words because it had a, a tremendous impact on me. Uh, we're going to be taking an offering, a love offering for God, for the ministry, uh, Reconnecting Ministries, if you're writing a check.